What's up, everyone? Thank you for checking out this episode of Raised a Geek. This week, we review Superpowered, the history of DC Comics, now streaming in three parts over on Max. So let's get into it. I'm Chris, and as always, I'm here with my buddy, Don. How we doing, man? Chris, what is up today, my friend? Uh, we're doing good. We, everything is okay. Cannot complain too much uh, on this hot Sunday in August. I don't know. Yeah, that's what it is. Trying to stay inside, trying to step outside for a little while today and got overheated. So I'm glad we don't do a podcast outdoors. Yeah, that, that would be not that, not that that's a thing that anybody that anyone does. really does. Yeah. Yeah, that would be a little weird. How are you doing? I'm OK. I'm OK. A little sleepy since we were up all night playing video games. Uh, yeah, which happened and having the conundrum of figuring out, I think, Within this last week, you and I both beat Final Fantasy 16. Mm -hmm. So did. now it's that whole thing was you just finished a 50-hour campaign in this massive game. Now what? My uh, my solution for the moment has been up until last night, like try to cut down on my comic book backlog. Mm. Um, because those two, we've talked about it before, but those two hobbies have a hard time coexisting in the same space. Like you have hour, you have enough time to do one. So when one takes up all your time, the other one is suffering. So I'm sitting here playing Final Fantasy for a couple months, and I my damn comic book stack is four feet tall. Yeah, just not literally. It. But, doop, 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 yeah, doop, not doop. literally. It was a movie montage. Feet. You would watch it, just keep looking right. over at it in disgust. So my intention has been to chop that down a little bit. I've been trying. That's a good idea. It sounds like the last episode of Noctera or last issue of Noctera for a while is coming out next mm, week. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, all right, I got to catch up to that one. Yeah, I think they're uh, probably going on a hiatus for a while, which, you know, those busy comic creators, they're allowed to do that when they do creator own stuff. You're like, six months off, got to work on my other books. Yeah. Um, happens to Saga all the time. We talked about Saga taking like months and months off for that four or five year break in the middle there or something but you know what if, if if they're turning out good material it's okay with me right another one of our another one of our interests which we never really talk about on the show that often is i know we bo both really used to be into it i dabble in it a little bit now i know you still watch it here and there but it's professional wrestling um we don't talk about it too much on here but we both like it we both kind of keep up yeah just now, what was it the other day? I don't know if it's like his last match ever or whatever, but Edge, I saw, was like pretty much, or his contract ended, right? And he's like, had his last match in Canada. He's Canadian. Uh, been in been in the business for like 25 plus years. What do you think of Edge, man? Is he Where does he go down as like in... For all the people out there who like wrestling, like where does Edge fall as, as like one of the all-time greats? Is he kind of like tier one top of the list or is he kind of just beneath that? I mean, he's been champion a few times. People listening might not even know who Edge is. So, I mean, that might have go into it too. Like we yeah. know who Edge is because we watch wrestling, but like, you know, he had a long, lengthy career with a lot of highlights. So, I don't know. Yeah. What do you, you think watched about? wrestling in the 90s, the Attitude Era, Edge was a became a huge part of that with the Hardy boys and the Dudley boys and edge and Christian and Kurt angle. And I mean, if you watched it in the nineties and you know who edge was, if you missed the nineties, then you might not know who edge is granted his bigger time was in the two thousands when he became a heavyweight champion, the rated, the rated R superstar era, you know, the live sex celebration in the middle of the ring. 
<laughs> that was awkward. Yeah, it was uh, weird. I think he's just underneath. He was still someone that when he won the championship, I remember thinking Edge is champion. He yeah. owned it, and he became like what he needed to be for that era. And I, like I said, I, I think he is probably bigger than I have any expectation of him being. Mm-hmm. Um, I always liked Edge. He put on good matches. Yeah. He was always entertaining. He put Ed, him, Edge, and Christian together was always gold. Sure. Um, Team Eck with Kurt Angle, that was always good. But yeah, they said his looks like his last match on his contract was on SmackDown, which seems like a weird way for him to go out with no like announcement. That was always his thing because he had a nine year like re- retirement because of his neck. Yeah. So then coming back, I want to retire on my own terms, but then to kind of almost have this retirement without it being a retirement is like, and wait, wasn't his opponent just like Sheamus? Kind of yeah. like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess. So uh, it's just kind of weird, but they were treating it on Friday like it was the last mm-hmm. time you'll ever see him. His wife's in the front row crying and like, I'm yeah. like, huh, it's kind of weird. And then today I saw that there were all these rumors now of like, is Edge going to AEW? Oh, shoot. Go yeah. join his boy over there. Yeah. Christian Cage. Because supposedly uh, when Edge was talking about doing a comeback, AEW was offering him hefty money to come back over there. And he said, I have to talk to Vince first. And he has to have first grabs. If he wants me, then he gets me. So, but now it's been a couple of years. So now could he just be like, Christian's been telling me a lot of cool stuff over there. I want to go yeah. check out this AEW and and wrestle some of these people. That's possible. And I don't finish know. with his buddy. Yeah. I just thought I would ask. He had an yeah. it, he just had an interesting career to me. I I I I respect his um where he got to from where he started. Never would have imagined it. Never would have imagined it. I kind of, when he first premiered, he was like, he's a life lifelong mid-carder. He's got a weird gimmick. He's like a vampire kind of, and like, just like this weird dude. And somehow he kept the name Edge through the whole thing. Like didn't even use really, he's Edge. And just yeah. like somehow won multiple championships and was great on the microphone and had some great matches with all, all these legendary Hall of Fame people. So, you know, shout out to Edge. Good, good WWE career there. Yeah, yeah, if this is it. Good run there. Yeah. Did you just hear something weird in your house? Look like you've seen a ghost. It sounded like a plane right above my house. Oops. So I was like, wait a second, please. I was waiting for like the <laughs> like uh, larger noise of it, like the wheels clipping the, my roof or something stupid. This video would go viral in a second. If there's a podcaster yeah. has playing go through house live yeah. on zoom yeah yeah podcaster gets donnie darko'd yes oh goodness spoilers for donnie darko <laughs> i think that's how they open that movie we should watch that movie that should be the next movie we watch and talk about on this show not a bad choice when not was the last time you watched donnie darko uh 25 years yeah I don't know how, long, how long has that movie been yeah all right yeah I- Probably. I remember watching it. Yeah. I feel like I watched it a couple times and like when it was the thing and I never watched it again. Anyway, talking launched Jake Gyllenhaal's career, I think. Hell yeah, it did. Uh, Talking about 25 years ago, we're doing a history dive here. We're going to talk about we checked out the the DC Comics uh, superpower documentary over on Max. Wasn't really knowing if I was going to watch it or not because I felt like it was going to be a lot of DC kissing their own ass. 
uh like mm-hmm. hey we're dc um they talked they did a lot more leveling of the playing field and a lot more honesty than i expected them to do they still kind of covered some stuff brushed past some of their uh, foibles there where they were like eh, we don't want to talk yeah. too much about this yeah. uh, but we decided to check that out and we wanted to talk about it and kind of give our little reactions reviews to it this week yeah we thought it would be interesting to do i think this documentary launched on max like kind of coinciding with san diego comic con they brought it out around the same time mm-hmm. that so it's been like a week or so uh i don't know and just kind of sit and talk about the state of dc with you a little bit like we, yeah. we we talk about it here and there on this show like they're doing stuff the right way they're changing things they're they're they they messed up here they messed up there so we're just gonna lay it all out on the table and i don't know just talk about the doc a little bit it's an interesting watch for those who you know are into comic books and into the history of things as they say so yeah yeah it was a well put together documentary it was nice three episode kind of breakdown of that and i liked seeing all the the history aspects of it you know i mean they went back to 1934 when dc comics was founded and to follow that journey through world war ii and the 60s 70s and i mean literally all the way to present day was really kind of a cool overview of seeing the impact of just like dc comics and really kind of the impact of superheroes superman specifically Mm -hmm. um was a large chunk of just like what they did but just to see how just with it within the times changed as the times changed to see how those characters tried to adapt to stay relevant even when they couldn't stay relevant and sometimes didn't and you know did talk about i know there was the big comics crash in the 90s when everything yeah like marvel filed marvel filed bankruptcy somewhere in there too and yeah and i think dc did too yeah probably um somewhere there's been multiple times in the history where (laughs) the world has thought the comics industry was going to end it's not just one it's multiple times and i'm sure not the last time either uh it's just a thing that keeps happening they got some good i mean i could see that but with these i mean we're kind of on i think more of a comic book movie bubble Mm-hmm. That seems to be bursting as we're sitting here recording this on Blue Beetle weekend, making $25 million in the lowest grossing opening weekend for uh, its fighting with Barbie in its fifth, fifth week for the number one spot. So there's yeah. kind of an interesting thing there where, I'm, you know, I know people could talk about superhero fatigue yeah, and whether it's real or not. And, you know, I kind of fall in the camp that it's a little real. <laughs> it always depends on the movie, but. No, it is real. We we've talked about it. It is real. It's uh, I don't know. Just just listening to you say that right now, like saying Blue Beetle is struggling to you know even beat out Barbie, um, mm-hmm. which has more legs than anybody ever thought it would. But that's more of an indictment, I think, on people's feeling about superhero movies. And I'm starting thinking in my head, like, man, really, what is the next Marvel DC? Doesn't matter. What is the next? superhero film that's gonna like blow the world up again kind of the way avengers endgame did and and no way home did like what is the next one that's gonna do that maybe that but like i don't know is it like possibly uh, i mean depends on even when these movies i mean we got writers and actor strikes so i mean we might be talking 2030 before we get another yeah. You know, Superman set for 2025 right now. Is that gonna? The longer these strikes go, it might be even later. 
So it might be even longer. And if the Marvels is the next Marvel movie set to come out, do you think that's going to get delayed? I don't think it's going to get delayed because it's, well, because it's already made, but. But they can't do promotion for it. Yeah, but movies have just been coming out. Like Barbie, so Barbie, Barbie and Oppenheimer came out with no promotion either. They or they couldn't like do red carpets for that either. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Deadpool three, maybe Deadpool three when it hits will like have yeah have that juice. But that's its own. That's its own thing. I feel like that's in a different category. It's superhero. It is. You're right. You're right. You're right. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's dive into this docu-series here. Here's a quick description for those who haven't grasped what it's about here and what we're going to talk about. Uh, but Superpowered, the DC story is a three-part docu-series narrated by Rosario Dawson that examines the history and cultural impact of DC Comics, founded in 1934 as nat National Comics Publications. The docu-series now streaming on Max interviews a number of writers, artists, and creative ex executives at DC. It also interviews DECU. Like, that sounded wrong to me right it's dceu not decu right yeah dc come on decider who wrote this article uh dceu and aeroverse directors and producers like patty jenkins james gunn and greg berlantini as well as actors who played dc superheroes like gal gadot robert pattinson henry cavell and linda carter so that was kind among, of among others among among others, others. Uh, my first feeling for this documentary which is probably going to come off as hate but whatever there was a lot of Patty Jenkins in this. <laughs> she was like the first person talking, and I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't want to hear from Patty Jenkins. Well, yes. Um, and you get the feeling right away that this was filmed when she was still on good terms with DC. <laughs> uh, because as, which is well publicized, she no longer is. Uh, I don't think she's in the plans for the future. Moving forward after James Gunn's um, ascendance as kind of the feige of the dc world and I, so even him being in this i think they were just interviewing him as like this is our suicide director james yeah. gunn it wasn't it, him as the head of dc entertainment yet so no. this movie came out at a time before this regime regime change this doc like was filmed before the regime change yeah. so it is a little funny to kind of look at that and be like you know we're talking to um zachary levi about shazam 2 and how much fun he had like no one gives a shit. No one would care about that now. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. Um, so no, we saw the movie, funny. and I'm glad he right. had fun because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I sure as hell did not. Uh, but yeah, a lot of Patty Jenkins, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of that, which is fine. I, I, I respect her passion for the character, which she kind of put forth. But you know, it definitely showed. I definitely can agree with that. Like watching her, listening to her talk about Wonder Woman and the importance of it listening to her talk to her the importance and just seeing the passion that she had for that first wonder woman it's just crazy how wonder woman 84 just blew up her entire career like she lost wonder woman 3 she lost star wars like li literally we're just like oh this is what you do okay we're good <laughs> well i think honestly like yeah i don't want to be like a hater like you said but it's one of these things that can be like studied yeah. future generations of how big of a fall from grace a director can have with like goodwill of the people and it's not based on her being a bad person or her whatever it's just based on how was your first movie this and your sequel is this 
and they are so far apart and so different from each other. Like, I don't think we're in the minority in thinking that, right? Like, I think no. Wonder Woman 84 is generally thought generally. of as a, as a mediocre movie. Um, yeah. But, like, really mediocre, like, bad. Like, it no, sucks. No, yes. <laughs> so, uh, it's 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 kind of crazy how I, I still don't understand to this day when I think about it how how she went from part one to to 84. I really don't. And I don't I, know if I ever will. I can tell you. What do you think? The only common denominator that I ever noticed that they did when I was watching Wonder Woman 1984 is she wrote Wonder Woman 84. So she was, wasn't just a director bringing the script to life. She was involved in like, she was deeply involved in the creative process. And sometimes that's just not for everybody. And there were decisions that got made. It was like, there was just no, I know we talk about WB just kind of being overly involved with their things and kind of hurting the movies. But this almost sounded like one where they were like, yeah, do whatever you want. And she mm -hmm. did whatever she wanted. And you're just like, oh, that's what you gave <laughs> us. Like, this is yeah. campy. I think they just got caught up in the 1980s aspect of it. And they were like, let's make a 1980s superhero movie. People will love it. People love the 80s. The nostalgia. It wasn't, it wasn't even that 80s, except for when they were in like the mall oh, I playing know. some kind of 80s song. The rest was just crap. So, yeah, but they still kept like the visuals of like an old Christopher Reeve Superman. And like, it just, I don't know, unless they just were that bad. I feel like they had to be doing it on purpose and it just didn't work. Yeah, very it's very odd. It's, it's just odd. But yes, Patty Jenkins was interviewed quite a bit in this. And like I said, I enjoyed aspects of it. And then there were other aspects where I was like, all right. It's yeah. just because it always just reminds me of Wonder Woman 84. <laughs> and uh, you know, nobody likes to think about that. Nobody does. Except for the 10% um, of people who loved it. Is there even 10%? I don't know. I'm being generous. We're making them mad at us right now. By oh, yeah. They stopped listening. <laughs> They were like, how dare you? The Jenkin heads were like, we are so mad at you right now. The Jenkin heads. It had the <laughs> cheetah in it. Um, Kristen Wiig was a marvel. Cinematic marvel. I don't know. Speaking Playing of... Selena Kyle. I mean, I mean, whatever her name <laughs> was. Right. Um, I don't know. Speaking of the Wonder Woman, I kind of like the first episode, the beginning, how it kind of started, like you said, with superman batman and wonder woman and kind of running through their histories yeah that was like some of the most interesting stuff of the entire three hours to me yeah you know looking at the path that bob kane took and then he had his guy what was his name like bill finger or something like that like his ghost i i know it i just i think it's last name finger but the guy who basically like ghostwrited batman the whole way yeah, and Bob Kane always like got the credit, but really most of the like the stories came from yeah Bill Finger. You were right. Yeah, yeah, Bill Finger like really did all the heavy lifting of Batman. He created you know? the entire <laughs> lore, which is a shame that like Bob Kane or just in general nobody knew until after Bill or Bill Finger passed. Right, and then everyone was like, "Oh, by the way, it was this guy." Yeah, he came up yeah. with Gotham City and the Joker and all of these villains and all of these characters. Yeah, and and he was someone who Bob Kane had just hired to like yeah. fill out. Like, I got this character now. Now do all his do all the hard stuff, and yeah. Bill Finger didn't didn't really get credit. So that was cool to see. And like the the um, Jeremy or Jerry Siegel and and the guy who created Superman. I liked that that whole story and mm -hmm. even the Wonder Woman stuff. It was I didn't know a lot of that stuff. Like who created him and how he felt about the women's movement and this and that and like the original Wonder Woman comics and why they were made and 
um, to kind of like shift the male dominated comics industry at the time and give, give people a different, like a woman to root for a woman can be a hero too. And uh, yeah, like I said, all the Superman stuff was really interesting. So I like that stuff the most, like that was in the first hour of this doc. And I was like, Oh, this is great. I, lo- I love even some of the stuff I knew. I just like seeing it and hearing about it again. Yeah, it was fun to hear the perspective with Superman and just the idea that you had these two Jewish guys that created him and then how much of Superman's story was tied into like the immigrant story of coming to America and trying to fit in, but trying to blend in and not be seen as who you are. And so you don't kind of be like, oh, you're not American enough, but then creating this like ultimate like apple pie, you know, character like who became America, but he's technically an immigrant that theoretically as we saw when he decided to not take change his slogan and there were a large sect of our uh government you know our political party that decided oh my god superman is anti-american now and it mm-hmm. made the news and that was ridiculous but yeah oh people only care about superman you don't know shit about superman i remember when they did the whole uh john kent being bisexual and everyone was like superman we're like it's not superman it's his son it's a completely different character but like the media didn't they and were just like you... Clark Kent is bisexual now, and we're like yeah. they're like Lois Lane. You're like, wait, you want him to bang his mom? My <laughs> Superman only sleeps with Lois Lane, and you're like, wait, that's his mom though. And you sicko, your, your <laughs> Superman also. You've never read a comic book in your entire life. Who's ever writing this? Yeah, freaking puff piece for Fox News or whoever. Like, yeah, s- stay out of this. Like, you're you you got enough going on with all your other bullshit. Like, don't worry about what the hell Superman's doing. Right. Uh, I know, but it was just funny. But I mean, it shows that, like, I just like that idea of, you know, it kind of adds this extra layer to the character that I feel like I knew that, but just really hearing it in the way that they described it and really digging into kind of like what America was like and life for for immigrants coming to, you know, America and what the things that they were dealing with and seeing how back in the 1930s they were like, paralleling that with superman's story and they were really telling their story through superman and then just seeing how that exploded and really realizing it's like superman really was kind of like the first superhero ever and then like just them really going through all of that was really cool for me no yeah i enjoyed all of that like especially like you said seeing all the reaction to these heroes like mm-hmm. we the people american people hadn't seen something like that so like you had little kids wearing homemade superman mm-hmm. shirts and, and these little kids buying comic books from like the local drugstore and everything and spinner racks and all that and uh it's when when the world felt differently about comic books kind of more than they do now it was like more mainstream more like super accepted and just i don't know different so it was cool seeing that the first hour of the dot kind of start off with that the trinity that we all know you know yeah. everyone thinks dc you think batman superman wonder woman yeah just, everything else is yeah. outside of the realm of public yeah. consumption <laughs> mm-hmm. fringe stuff you know yeah what I, mean? I mean almost everything outside of those three struggles Pretty much Pretty i mean much. Zack snyder got a little bit of love with the flash um I really liked when they really dove into the Flash and when they kind of turned the re brought the Flash back, and uh, I forgot who did it. 
the it wasn't Jeff Johns. It was the one. It was the first time they brought Flashback before, like in the fifties, and they made okay. him like scientific and really get fleshed out his character and influenced all these kids in the fifties and sixties to be scientists and astronauts and doing all that stuff. And that was really cool. Yeah, your wife is a scientist. You should ask her if she was influenced by the Flash. Yeah, she wasn't. Yeah, yeah that was that was cool. Uh, it kind of it did show that boom of time where kids were into science and like sciences and rockets and lab stuff and they made a superhero like that and i thought it was cool that they kind of said made it seem like or they let you know flash was made as a character where um how he got his abilities and powers is like oh he's an everyman he's he's like you and me this could happen to you and me like Mm -hmm. we can't be superman we're not an alien we can't be bruce wayne we're not a billionaire we mm. can't be Wonder Woman. We're not an Amazon. But Flash is just like a guy who lightning struck him. And he's like, I have superpowers. Of course, kids are going to like that. They're like, that could be me. I wish lightning would strike me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? We all had those thoughts as a kid. Yeah. How why can I get gamma why, radiation and turn into the Hulk? Why won't a radioactive spider bite me? That's like the biggest these. one. Like that one, <laughs> even though that is ridiculous to think of, like, yeah, that is one that you always kind of thought it could happen. Like I could get bit by a radioactive spider and become Spider-Man, right? That seems that possible. Happen. I wouldn't get ridiculous stage four cancer and die immediately <laughs> from uh, that radioactive spider bite, right? Right. Uh, wouldn't have to be quarantined and studied. Right. They never want to study Spider-Man for how he is, what he is. Yeah, right. Every every other superhero, they want to capture him and put him in tubes and study him and. Mm-hmm. Not Spider Man. He's no, just they're a, just kind of cool. <laughs> they're cool with him. They're cool with him. He's a menace. He's a menace because he's just it sells newspapers, not because he might be contagious. True. He should be a menace because he's not in quarantine for being <laughs> radioactively bitten. But that was still that doesn't mean that I didn't want to get bit by a radioactive spider when I was a kid. Watching that nineties cartoon. You and me both, buddy. Voiced you by Greg both. Brady. <laughs> Wasn't that That's the oldest true. Brady son? Oh, yeah. And he was the voice of Spider-Man in that 90s cartoon. That was good shit. The more you know. <laughs> what was hilarious was realizing how early in the run of just DC Comics that they created the multiverse or parallel universes. I did not know that they went back to, like, the 60s to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, they that was crazy to think that they were kind of convoluting up their universe way back then. <laughs> yeah. And then they let it be known that they were pretty much like the first to do it. Mm-hmm. They like did multiverses before multiverses were done by everybody. I mean, by decades. Yeah. So early DC Comics, you know, you had 10 different Flashes, 10 different Superman, each on their own different Earth and whatever. And yeah, it was kind of interesting. I, I've always like, we like DC Comics, but there is a ton of stuff and we can talk about it. There's a ton of stuff we haven't read. Not enough time in the day don't have the resources to buy books from 50 years ago doesn't mean i don't want to but there's so there's plenty of stuff we haven't read which uh one of them is for me the um, crisis on infinite earths Mm -hmm. which they talked about in this as being like when dc decided okay things are getting out of control with this multiverse stuff we have to do a story where we kind of just make it one earth and start everything over and make make these books more accessible to new readers and new people uh, so that is one that maybe one day I'd like to read and just see like its historic place in comics as being, you know, oh, this is when they decided to stop doing that multiverse stuff. But I'm sure that was all cool. For but a little bit. 
it totally gets confusing. Like multiverse gets confusing. I'm sorry. What anyone says, like in comics, in movies, as we see, which is happening right now in the MCU, like things get all convoluted and twisted up with this. So making it just like one world sometimes isn't the worst idea. No. So the crisis for infinite earths was how they reset it, but then flashpoint, they were resetting it again. Or is that when they reopened up multiple? Because I know the Flashpoint came turned into the New Fifty Two, right? But that's so what many, were they resetting? That's years. That's many years later. Yo, I know the Crisis on Infinite Earth was what eighties, something like that. Yeah, I think um, we're sounding terrible because we don't pay attention to specific <laughs> specific so, years, things, years, basically. So then they kind of put it all together into one, but then they ended up breaking it up again at some point because Flashpoint. Oh yeah, he had to erase everything. Yeah, I'm sure in some at some point they they reinstated the multiverse stuff after Crisis on Infinite Earths, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, Flashpoint was just kind of another way into what led us into the New Fifty Two. That was um, a reboot. That was more of a reboot than a bring together. Yeah, um, I don't know. New 52, I, I I may have spoken about it on the show before, but like New 52 is what brought me back to comics. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about that we liked comics a lot as kids. Um, but then, you know, somewhere in my 20s and whatever, I kind of let it go and stopped reading and doing other stuff. But um, I don't know, just somewhere along the line when before New 52 came out, I kind of read about it somewhere. It's like, oh, every, every single comic book is going to be a new number one and -hmm. a new creative team and like new stories and you're not bogged down by all this because that has always been the most um like daunting thing about for new readers getting into comics you want to read a batman you want to read superman you want to read whatever name whatever thing you want and you go to the store and you pick up a new issue and you look and it's like issue 137 of something and you're like well i don't know what's going on is this going to be like right in the middle of a story what is it? And then, like every now and then, they will be—they will say things such as um, "start of a new arc." But you still feel weird because it's like this is number eighty-nine. Like I don't—I feel like yeah. I'm in the middle of this. So the new fifty-two was perfect for me at that time because it was like everything's number one. I got a bunch of the new number ones. Read a bunch of those series for a long time. I know a lot of people like the shit on the new fifty-two, but I really liked a lot of what came out of that. Um, you know that that's the era that got me into Scott Snyder as much as I am now. He was one of the standouts of that time. Uh, I really liked Jeff Johns and Jim Lee's Justice League to start when it was just them two for the first few arcs. Um, got me into Animal Man and Swamp Thing as characters, two characters I never really read before. So a lot of good came out of New Fifty Two for me, and like has kept me reading comics now for the next fifteen years. It's been since then, but so. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's my little New 52 rant. No, I 100% agree with you. New 52, the same thing. As I said, as kids, we tried. But when you don't have a car, you don't have right. consistent money, you got other stuff, it's hard to keep up with comics unless you're really dedicated. And we weren't. So we were mm-hmm. dedicated for little periods of time, but then it became too hard. And then, like I said, then it's always just pockets of time. But yeah, some New 52, 100% just wanted. I have. I was just looking through my box. of new. I have a whole box of New 52s. And seeing those two years of animal man and swamp thing and aquaman and batman and um mm-hmm. bat wing and batwoman and i mean i pretty <laughs> much got 
all the all bad family, family. <laughs> like the whole bad family in there yeah. just to try that and uh yeah it was just it was just a good thing to get into it was fun it just kind of the hype was was real and it just like I said new 52 got me back in as well and yeah i've been pretty much consistent since then it was like okay let's just keep mm. this going and yeah even though you and i are both kind of more into like creator-owned indie stuff now more so than superhero comics but i still do read my good amount of dc superhero comics i think the only people that really bothered at the time the new 52 was readers of dc who were caught up and they're like i don't want to start over i know yeah. these i know like i'm invested in these stories you guys are telling now but they were yeah. trying to reach more of a broad audience and kind of get you know what i like rekindle a, a love for and it worked for people like us it worked but, for a, a lot of people i mean it was a it was definitely a success even mm -hmm. if you had the haters for it i think it did more good than bad for at least the business side of comic books right, right. then as opposed to the uh like i said the passion the passionate vocal group definitely yeah. weren't happy about it but you know what they still probably read it all and still probably yeah. enjoyed their plenty plenty of it but yeah to be able to get jeff johns doing aquaman and really see what he did with that i did read that as much as i shit on jeff johns for doomsday clock but <laughs> I, I i think a lot of people liked his aquaman his new 52 Aquaman. yeah it was, i i really enjoyed the new 52 aquaman i was uh for however long i read it um mm -hmm. like i said animal man with jeff lemire yeah like i said it introduced me to a lot of that the writers that are really big now yeah. and were coming up at the time and kind of new 52 gave them their names so yeah new 52 i was super excited for them to talk about that era and to really just see what that looked like because i remember it yeah i wish they would have maybe talked about it a little more one yeah. thing with this doc is they did sometimes glaze over things and i know here's what i wanted to talk about too about this documentary is um i know you mentioned a little bit it kind of lets you in and see another side and they spoke sometimes fairly sometimes i think they didn't go far enough on some of these things and i think that is a um product of them kind of having dc i think obviously had final say over this this is yeah. a this is on max which is owned by warner brothers so they're not gonna rip themselves too hard you know what i mean no this is this is kind of like the last dance michael jordan had final say like he never made himself look like a bad guy like, I love that documentary, but watching it with clear eyes, you're like, he produced this. He's he's the one saying what's said. Like, mm -hmm. he comes off as, like, the the hero, no matter what it, what happens. Yeah. Um, makes Scottie Pippen over there look like an asshole all day or whatever. Uh, anyway, but uh, they also do that with, um, oh, I just had another example when they do that. Like, I think this new, I like the latest nfl quarterback thing you and i were talking about that's on netflix but the, these quarterbacks have final say over it like kirk cousins has you know control kind of over how he comes off um still entertaining but like they're always like squeaky clean they're never going to show the bad side yeah this doc i feel like did that a little bit I yeah 100 percent. especially when they were talking about the dceu yeah we're glazing over you know um the the first justice league and all the issues that had with like um what's that director's name why can't i think josh whedon josh whedon yeah yeah we didn't talk about that we didn't talk about any of that stuff um i don't know it, it's it sometimes felt like a promotional video that i was watching for dc rather than like 
if I wanted a real documentary on like the all everything, the good, the bad, the dirt, everything, I don't think you're gonna find that on Max. You're not getting Jim Lee to do interviews for that. You're not getting all these people. So sometimes I feel like they could have went a little further with stuff, but I mean, I get it. I understand. And that was my holdup just from even when I watched the trailer for it and kind of where I was like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this because that's what I was nervous it was going to be. Like, I'm like, they are just going to kind of like celebrate themselves, pat themselves on the back for how great they are. And which they, they kind of did. did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, because they went through the history of it and got to see there was a lot of nostalgia and there was just a lot of cool stories being told. And especially they were a little bit more open I guess they were more open about like the culture, but it was always how like they were the victims of people were right. treating our comics bad because they'd had horror themes or, you know, mm-hmm. some of those things. And we were the pioneers of this. So yes, there was a lot of patting I mean, themselves on the back. And I, there's, I agree. there's certain people you could probably talk to that would turn around and say everything they said and be like, well, this was my experience. And I worked for a bunch of a-holes over there. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, yeah. That's kind of going to happen though when it's their thing and mm-hmm. it's on their channel and their network. Of course, I get. So, I mean, would I, you do any different? No, I guess if you want the real underground DC story, one day somebody will have to make a doc who is completely neutral. It will not be on Max, <laughs> um, and we'll have to see. But yeah, just kind of wanted to point that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... I always find it funny when you watch these documentaries or just any documentary, not even about comic books, but I always find it funny how, like, when you see stuff of how the culture, just American culture was in the 50s and the 80s and the 90s today, and realizing that we haven't changed all that much, Mm -hmm. like, they were still having the same conversations politically and culturally of just the same things that we're talking about today. And I mean, we're making strides and it is different. Things are handled differently, or at least there are there is more exception to things. But at the same time, it's still very small and it's still the same arguments that politically are happening on, you know, what the American dream is, what the American family looks like, what, you know, all these stupid things that people uh, have way too much energy to focus on. But yeah. It's just always crazy to me when you watch these things and realize, hey, they're still talking about this, which means they haven't figured shit out about equality. (laughs) We sure haven't. (laughs) In some ways we have. uh, In some ways there is there. There are people who are consciously trying to be aware of biases and be aware of how they looked at things and, you know, are aware of those things. And uh, through our entertainment, you know, they're trying, which, of course, they always like to overdo sometimes. and ram it down your throats to the point where people get agitated and create their own drama uh, or backlash with the other, you know, there's tasteful ways to do things. And sometimes they don't always pick that route, which kind of can do more harm than good. But, you know, there are a lot of things that we do better today and handle better, but at the same time, it's like from a legislation standpoint, they're still having the same conversations to figure out what do we do? (laughs) It's like, wait, we've been on this conversation for 80 years. Yeah, the political climate is, if not the same, it might even be worse than it was back then as far as some of that some of that stuff goes. But um, yeah, but, I, but, I I agree with that. But I liked seeing how the comics tried to keep up with that and tried to change that. Obviously, we got a lot of that when we started talking about more present day stuff with the pride. Um mm-hmm. 
that was where we talked about earlier with Jonathan Kent being bisexual and making those kind of adjustments and changes to characters. But I always liked, I did like how they put it where they're like, well, we're trying to, you know, make these characters for appealing to the kids. And everybody, right. And everybody, but I mean, you're also like, you have to speak to the younger generation to keep comics going. So it's like, there are things that we just age out of. And I mean, if you still enjoy it, you still enjoy it, but you need to like, remember that it's not really for you. There are aspects of comics that are for adults or for anybody. But I mean, you have to remember that if you don't understand Gen, Gen, Gen Z yeah. or what Gen Z does annoys you, well... We're about, yeah. you know, we're aging out of the, you know, 18 to 45 demographic, which means we're about to be too old. And also, you can just try to have this thing that they call an open mind and just, yeah. like, accept stories that don't completely, like, reflect your life. Yeah. You can you can read other, you can read a story that doesn't, isn't just you looking in the mirror at yourself yeah. and still find it and still find it enjoyable and still enjoy it for what it is. Yeah. Some people aren't. Some people are not capable of that, which is apparently, a, which is a sad fact. But yeah, uh, it's just like I said, it's crazy to watch and to see. But it was really cool to see those things change, you know, um, and to see them just, you know, try. And they're telling stories that are different. And I think from like a my standpoint, it's like I like to read those stories because I like to see something different and try to understand. Yeah, how other people see stuff. You know, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're done well. Sometimes they're not done well. Or sometimes I can't relate, and I just don't get a lot out of it. It just depends. Right. But you know, it's still I enjoy that they do that, and it was fun to see that DC Comics, and I'm sure just comics in general, did that. You know, kind of really tried to stay as relevant as possible, as soon as po like as quick as possible. It's kind of like they always talk about South Park. Does their ish? Their does their you know cartoons like a week before they air so they could be like super topical right it was like comic books were almost able to do that more than like tv or movies you know movies are always so far behind mm -hmm. what the general what the general population wants because it's like oh we love this and then you're like you know you knew it when with multiverse when they did the spider-man spider-man mm -hmm. no way home with the multiverse and the multiple spider-man you're like all right get ready because now that this was successful, we're going to get the next five years, we're going to get all kinds of crazy crap of like, let's mix some series together and mix different franchises together. And <laughs> the Flash. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> and uh, Flash would have been more timely if they didn't delay it four years. But yeah, one of its many problems. I don't know. I, I, I like what you're saying there about that stuff. And I think some of that was interesting to see um that marvel pushed them to do a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. i think marvel was featured in this documentary more than i kind of thought they were going to be yeah them like kind of talking about their direct competitor and they have been competitors for you know decades upon yeah. decades and just kind of seeing them flash marvel stuff and like ooh, marvel got edgy and they went here and they started talking about you know like racial issues and and political rioting and, and women's issues and war and stuff and like dc's still on this side doing like superman as the boy scout and this is the era of adam Can't west batman. batman yeah yeah where he's just you know laughing and joking and and bam wham zap whatever and uh marvel's over here doing this stuff and that kind of pushed them to do their things like uh you know marvel had came came with black panther as as like this you know, oh, he's a black superhero. Then a couple years later, DC has Black Lightning. They're like, oh, we're trying to keep up with you guys. You know, you're, we got to do this stuff too. Yeah. Um, 
So that was kind of interesting to me to see Marvel kind of push DC to go to certain places. And and it worked in a lot of cases. Sometimes DC went further than Marvel with, you know, some of their adult content. Yeah. Like the whole Vertigo line. I like that whole segment. Yeah. Um, talking to Neil Gaiman and um, and Sandman and Grant Morrison and all the stuff he did. Alan and like, Moore. Alan Moore. Finding oh, yeah. old ass Alan Moore interviews where he'd talk about comic books seeing him young and like seeing frank miller young like blew my mind a little bit yeah frank miller young <laughs> creeped me out a little bit yeah i was like he looks like a deal to a regular person yeah not some old troll under a bridge <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right we just got canceled um no no but that was fun no uh, yeah it, it definitely was they fun. reached through and found and just realizing how those books like those are all books that i heard of but didn't know how to read like sandman i've always known sandman was a thing but never really knew how to get involved sometimes there's those stories like i didn't realize that sandman was just like 85 issues or 86 issues and it was done you thought it was like mountains of books yeah that because you could never read right. yeah they i've been hearing about sandman for 20 years so i'm like i don't know how the fuck to read sandman like it sounds really <laughs> cool i love neil gaiman like this is i'm down like this sounds mm -hmm. perfect but i don't know how to read it you know, and then I realized, oh, wait, it's just like four books and yeah, it's not that yeah. hard. It's not that complicated. They've just been milking the franchise for well, right. more years. They've been holding it up. And, but yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I had that vision of Sandman being something that I, some mountain I could never climb when I was like at a certain age. Like, I can't do that. That's not for, that's something I had to have read at the beginning and like kept up yeah. with and there's like encyclopedias of, of Sandman stuff. I can't, I can't read this. And I didn't read Sandman until like my adult life, yeah. probably not, not maybe like, you know, 10 years ago. And it's like, I never read this. This is a piece of literature. Yeah. You know, same thing with like Watchmen, Alan, <clears throat> Alan Moore's Watchmen, a lot of Grant Morrison stuff too. Yeah. Um, they've, they've got a lot of stuff in their stable like that. That's just like, this is really good. Just like, books even if it didn't have pictures like this would stand up with anybody books yeah. like talking about watchmen being among the you know top 100 pieces of literature to ever exist you know what i mean like yeah. as a comic book it's kind of crazy um so yeah that was that was a really interesting segment too yeah i loved hearing about that and those were a lot of stories that i always wanted to read and i'm sitting there writing down book series i'm like all right i, I need to read kingdom come that sounds awesome mm -hmm. yeah it makes Mark me want to bust out. He's a great writer, yeah. Yeah, it made me want to bust out Watchmen and mm -hmm. kind of read through that again. It's been years since I, I had the urge in 2009 with the Watchmen HBO series. Right. Was that 2009? Or... Oh, I think it's been more recent than that. I think it was more recent than 2009. But, yeah, you know, the, with the Watchmen HBO series, which they talked about and just really seeing what they did with that, makes me want to watch what makes me want to watch that again on top of makes me want to read the Watchmen read. book yeah and yeah kingdom come uh what was the other one Watchmen, kingdom come we talked about the crisis on infinite earths well i know you said you wanted to rebust out some frank miller like dark knight oh yeah i already pulled i went and grabbed the 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 blu-ray of dark knight returns the two-part <laughs> yeah. movie I yeah. was like, man, I haven't watched this in years. I need to watch mm -hmm. this again. So I was planning on watching that this weekend. I haven't gotten to it yet, but yeah, they had like Doom Patrols in there. I never read Doom Patrol, you know, a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I have Kingdom Come. I told you sitting up here on a shelf, I've had it and just haven't read it. I was like, I got to read that. I like Mark Wade as a writer. The yeah. story sounds amazing. Them like coming out of retirement to stop this new age of of younger superhero. Yeah. And it's like drawn by Alex Ross, who is mostly known as a cover artist. Yeah. Because his covers are so damn iconic and intricate. Yeah. He usually all he has to do is covers. Yeah. So like he he did the interiors of this book. Like we got to read this. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why I haven't. It's on the list. I, I struggle with graphic novels because I still have a backlog of single issues. So I'm like, oh, well, yeah. when I, I'm like, oh, I got all these graphic novels. I have a super, super girl woman of tomorrow that I'm, I'm like, all right, that's on the top of my graphic novel list to read. Once I catch up. Well, you never catch up. Yeah. You never catch up. So <laughs> it's, it's another one frustrating in that way. Another one. I think I wanted to read after hearing ice for years. I've meant to check out Alan Moore swamp thing. Because mm -hmm. he writes apparently like the definitive Swamp Thing. Um, we talked about Scott Snyder's New 52 one. I'm sure the Alan Moore one probably had a lot to do with that. So I'm sure that's another one. It's it's on the list of things like gotta gotta get it, gotta read it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then they then they then they dove into the Batman animated series, and oh yeah, I was like, oh shit, here we go of just how perfect that cartoon was and how they were just like, well, this is what cartoons were. And then we were told we didn't have to do that and make them light and funny. And we could just tell the Batman we want to tell. And they did. And just with that voice cast and just the characters they created, because that's where Harley Quinn came from. I mean, if you don't have Batman animated series, we don't have Harley Quinn today. And we see how much money Warner Brothers is making off Harley Quinn. So we might not even know who Margot Robbie is if it wasn't for Batman, the animated series. True. I've always kind of said, God bless Bruce Tim and Paul Dini for that show. We're proof that that show works for people of from age, you know, four to 40. Like yeah. we, that was a cartoon for us when we were growing up. And I can still put that cartoon on today and be entertained, you know, yeah. from beginning to end. It's the, they still hold up. Yep. It's like the definitive Gotham City. Um, I still hear, um, What's the actor who passed away? Who Kevin who Conroy? Kevin Conroy. I still hear Kevin Conroy when I read Batman. Uh, they got him to do the voice in the Arkham games, which was a blessing. Like, I still hear Mark Hamill when I'm reading Joker. Uh, yeah, those are that is Batman and Joker for me. Yeah, it is. For, I mean, obviously, a lot of people, an entire generation. generation. That's what you hear. Yeah, those those cartoons are are great. That Gotham City was perfect. Like. It was like a mix of modern, but also like 1920s gangster, yeah, yeah, whatever, and just like you can't beat it. That that that's a classic show that will just lives will live forever. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, there's not much more you could say to that. Just going through the 90s, and you know, I mean, they did they did talk about the the Batman movies. It was cool to see them kind of run through Batman's like feature film legacy superman's feature film legacy they did like i said a little heavy-handed in the dceu because that's the newest stuff so they were making that all seem a lot more important the only one they talked about making money was aquaman because that's the only billion dollar one they actually had every other one they were like oh yeah we made this we made this right. we made this mm -hmm. and you're like yes you made them and they look cool in a sizzle reel but <laughs> right you only had one that actually made you money yeah um so it was kind of funny to watch them do that, but that's fine, especially when they were showing Wonder Woman 84 to bring it back around. Yeah, but we 
like you said, we appreciate the legacy of DC films. That's not the DCEU. Yeah, hundred percent. All those, all those, ba- all those Batman movies, the Superman movies, like another uh, another thing that's just gonna live on with us forever. Batman eighty nine and the original Superman, just like you can't beat those. The Nolan movies are iconic. Yeah, uh, and always will be. So Zack Snyder can't take that away from them or whoever else. No, but I mean. Zack Snyder gave us Man of Steel, so that's all I... He did. He that's did. all I really need, man. Seriously, like, that movie was on... Uh, I was watching that, I think it was, like, on TNT or something, and I just put it on, and I got sucked in. I was watching, like, a large chunk of it until I got bored with the commercials, but I'm sitting there like, this movie is so good, and you watch the whole scene with Kevin Costner, and, man, it just just brings well, it out yeah. of you, man. You just get all emotional. That's Zack Snyder's legacy to me of for DC is Man of Steel. We could yeah. just end it there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I like Justice League enough, but it was like, uh, no. Yeah, Man he of tried Steel a bunch and... of stuff. I yeah. mean, I maybe if he would have, if it would have been more successful, but we all we've talked about many times why it wasn't successful and it was rushed and they just Warner Brothers wanted the money that they saw Marvel making and they wanted it now and they didn't want to put in the 10 years that Marvel put in and I mean that's ultimately what it came to the fact that we were rushed in like two movies to get Justice League you're like really we're going to introduce Aquaman and the Flash and Cyborg in one movie like what's wrong with you like the all three of those should have had solo movies before that was Wonder Woman even out before Justice League um I can't remember it was close I mean it was either the movie right before justice league or the movie right after it i think it was the movie right after it because in justice league didn't they have like a thing where they showed a picture and it had chris pine in it possibly that could have been batman versus superman too all those movies do yeah i mean iconically the thing everyone remembers about wonder woman's introduction is it was totally at the wrong time she didn't need to be in batman versus superman in a movie that was already bloated enough um so yeah, super rush job. We we've talked about it plenty of times, you know. But uh, yeah, it's just one of the many problems with that film that kind of just set them on a weird course that they never really recovered from, in my eyes. Yeah. Ask ask a you know Zack Snyder head, and they'll tell you something completely different and wish death upon me. Yeah. For saying so, but I mean, anybody with a pair of eyes can can tell that's when they kind of lost their way, lost the course of that yeah. whole Snyderverse. And Wonder Woman was before. You had Man of Steel, and then the next second movie in this entire thing was Batman versus Superman. Terrible. Then they did Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, and Justice League. Yeah, that's the legacy. That's the legacy. And then Aquaman came after that. And then we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight other movies come out before we got a Flash solo film. (laughs) Like, really? Yeah. Peacemaker came out. He was in Peacemaker. <laughs> right. Right. It's just it was wild. Yeah, it is wild. It's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride. It has. Well, trying to keep up with them. And I mean, they've been putting out movies. They just, like I said, they just, there's something about them. It's just, there's not a magic. You know, we everyone talks about Marvel and the MCU kind of losing magic post endgame and really losing their audience post endgame. They almost needed to do like a snap of their own or a, a flashpoint and reset everything and start over. What? Well, there is, I know we don't love rumors here, but there is rumors out there that Secret Wars is going to kind of be a soft reboot after Secret Wars. Okay. They're going to, they're going to kind of like, I don't know, do it, start it over. 
like do it over maybe yeah. new actors new cast new who knows this is all rumors i shouldn't even have said anything about it no cause... it's it's not gonna happen so it doesn't matter <laughs> um, well we'll see no that would be i yeah. mean almost should have handled all of that differently and figure out i don't know the the multiverse saga is just not working uh, yeah it's uh it's not off to as good of a start as the infinity saga and i think i know that we're talking about dc here today yeah. just while we're on the topic of D- movie worlds and their issues i just think part of it is they're trying too hard to recreate infinity saga with mm-hmm. multiverse like not every not every one of these films has to be a world ender like ant-man doesn't need to be saving the world from king in ant-man 3 come on guys like you didn't do that before we had some we had movies that were just like okay this is just the adventure of this is winter soldier this is just captain america and his buddy bucky and their their thing the yeah. world's not blowing up in this one like an alien isn't destroying the world like kang isn't going to destroy everything in this one like i don't know not every movie has to be on the same level of they're trying to make all these end games and none of them are end game yeah. you know what I, you know what i mean just i don't know um yeah every threat doesn't need to be a cataclysm yeah doesn't need to be the end of the world we don't need the eternals they could have told the different eternal story and not even have the damn thing on earth and it could have been more yeah. you know that was kind of i think i feel like why i know i think it was still if i remember correctly it was still a, a world ender but like shang chi mm-hmm. felt very self-contained right like it was almost in another dimension that they took place you know they were kind of in another place yes i think if the dragon would have got out it would have destroyed the world or something but i mean it was still small yeah it felt it like an intimate like story small enough for him like this is his corner of the world you know yeah. what I mean? Not a, not Ant Man has to save the human race. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, or Nick Fury. Now, hey, scrolls, they're they're here. We're fucked, but we don't need the Avengers. I got this. This is on me. Do you? The cool. president almost just got assassinated, and the the world, world your friend's dead. Everyone's dying. Yeah, everyone's dying around you. It's like, hey, Nick Fury, shouldn't you probably call Thor for help with this one? Like, no, this is my fight. I mean, at least call, you know, at least call Hawkeye or somebody. Yeah. Somebody. You don't have to call everybody, but just grab, you know, one or two. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, to bring it back to DC, it almost seems like that's what DC did when they started making this. They saw Man of Steel and they were like, okay, turn that into our cinematic universe. Let's connect all this stuff. This is our Superman. And they rushed it. And they tried to follow what Marvel is doing, just like Marvel is trying to follow, recreate what Marvel did. And they're like, well, lightning doesn't always strike twice. So it's like, just lean into the different and lean into the new and have fun with it. And they just don't seem like anybody is. It's following the dollar, which is part of our whole corporate structure. <laughs> yeah, their 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 biggest problem, like we've, we've said it a hundred times, was just trying to recreate Marvel's success. Yeah. Um, when they should have just been focused on what's going to make us successful in a different way. There's no reason in the world we should not have had a Ben Affleck Batman movie before Batman versus Superman. No reason. If you want that movie to be successful, Batman versus Superman, do your Batman movie first. You should have done your Batman movie first. 
No idea why you didn't. You threw Batman in here fighting Superman in his first appearance in in your connected universe. Bad idea. It didn't. It was just bad idea from the start. And now we're hearing all this stuff of what we missed out on on a, on a Ben Affleck Batman, which could have been really cool. They could have done it and you know made it really good. Look at Batman versus Superman and really think about the Batman parts in that. Mm-hmm. They were amazing. They were fun as hell. Every Batman scene, every Batman action scene, every everything that Ben Affleck did in that movie was awesome. Yeah. Until we get to the end and he's just now a dude with a gun. Right. Who can't help because the, the enemies are too big. The threat's too big for him. The threat's yeah. too big. He can't do shit against Doomsday. Like, fuck Superman Batman. Superman can't do? do shit against Doomsday. Yeah, what's exactly. Batman going to do? Yeah. What, yeah, what's Batman going to do? That was, I mean, that was always the curse of the whole plan is there's only so much Batman could do. He's just running around the streets. Get back. Get back. Yeah. Um, but I mean, everything up to that point, every scene with Batman where he was interrogating people, living in the shadows, turned into a horror movie. And they were all awesome. And if we would have got a Ben Affleck Batman movie first, if that would have followed Man of Steel and it was a dark, gritty Batman, kind of like the Batman was with Robert Pattinson, give us something like that, but kind of a Dark Knight Returns level of Batman, which is obviously what they were going for. Maybe throw, uh, what's her name, Carrie as Robin. Mm-hmm. Like really lean into that like path of story. Dude, that would have been just next level and then when you put them together and you end that movie with the destruction of you know metropolis right and then you're just like oh shit like how pumped would you have been for batman versus superman way more pumped than i was like like exactly like but i mean when you when i was watching batman versus superman i mean the opening of that movie is badass like i'm not i can't all of those things have gold like Zack snyder i always like Zack snyder so <laughs> okay yeah um, i get i got you he, he, there were moments of these movies that are awesome, but it's just like I said, it was so convoluted that it just kind of fell apart on him. But yeah. I think most of that just became we saw with Justice League Snyder cut. It's just there's so much interference and so much like, no, you need to do what we want. And he was mm-hmm. fighting all of these people because they just wanted, they didn't want, they didn't care about the story or care about what they're doing. They were just rushing it. And it's just kind of a shame. And to see them brush over that a little bit was kind of disappointing. Yeah, I, I knew I they would, they, but it's fine. I don't think they really were interested in talking about it that much, to be honest. I think they're they that's a point in their history that they are aware of and know their, the issues with it. And like I said, there's times when this doc felt like a promotional video for DC and Warner Brothers, so they're not really going to talk about their blemishes. Um, yeah, of course. But I mean, I wouldn't now, either. And I mean, to their credit, they're going to try to do what they got to try to do. Yes, this year is not going to work as well for them. They might have, you know, had some bad timing in announcing the James Gunn and the, you know, some of these things, maybe waited until about now to do it, you know, get some of these movies out and try to make some money. But they're trying, you know, they're going to see what they could do. And James Gunn does kind of have a an eye for some of these things and see what his Superman looks like. So you're telling me you're not going to see Blue Beetle this weekend? No. <laughs> me neither. No, I'm not. I just... I don't know. It's just an origin story. No idea what it means from a extended universe. And there's not enough there to make me just be like, I want to watch this movie for what it is. And that's been the problem with DC movies this year has been like, well, this universe is dead and the movies don't look good enough to make me want to see them on their own. So 
I'll wait for Max. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. That's kind of our thoughts on the, the yeah. movies. The, the one thing I will say is I've never been more intrigued and excited isn't the word. So it's I guess it's kind of intrigued. I've never been more intrigued about what their next thing looks like. Mm-hmm. So meaning the James Gunn era. Yeah. And what, what his Superman movie is going to be. And if he's really going to turn this thing around, like steer the ship in the right direction and put it on the right path. Um, we kind of talked about before, we both kind of agree he is a guy who could potentially do this. Yeah. Um, if we're just basing it off of his work, um, say what you will about him, but the man's given us Peacemaker. We both love Peacemaker. We love the Guardians trilogy. Um, Suicide Squad was okay. I think that was him just kind of going a little overboard, but it was bit. still a but it was still a well made movie. Mm-hmm. So like everything he's done so far has been pretty good. And so I don't know. I'm his Superman is probably my most anticipated thing to see. Just I just want to see what it looks like and get a feel for it. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I haven't felt this way about a DC project. Well, Matt Reeves Batman excited me a lot and i'm really looking forward to that sequel yeah um but yeah like james gunn's superman is very intriguing to me i want I, i'm just very curious to see what's gonna go into that no i 100 agree superman's always uh i don't read a lot of superman comics or do anything but a superman movie something about that character i just really like when it's done well and i don't know that's been done well a lot of times superman usually usually works pretty well so i'm kind of here for a new superman always so um, i'm ready for that um one of the other things i noticed coming back to the doc a little bit as we're wrapping up slowly um jim lee's the man always has been always has been but just like seeing seeing some of his art and just remembering like and looking at other stuff of just him drawing the X-Men and just realizing we talked about Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill were, you know, like the voices of Batman and Joker. And Jim Lee is like the art for the X-Men for me. He's the art of Batman. Like when I think of Batman in my head, he looks like Jim Lee's Batman. Yeah. Um, just the yeah. just the way that he draws is just outstanding. And yeah, dude's a master. He's out there doing his thing and uh, leading in. So it was really cool that he was in this talking i mean i know he's like the head of dc so of course he was but well his story is interesting too like started at marvel Mm -hmm. um drawn like like you said x-men and other things and then the whole way image was founded with like him and todd mcfarlane and eric larson and rob liefeld and all those guys how they there's a documentary about there out there about the um formation or founding of image comics that i've meant to watch for years i would love to watch that someday but uh and then going from that then back to dc and somehow like working his way all the way up to like he's like at the top of the like he's the editor-in-chief or whatever you want to call it the cco i think he's the chief creative officer yeah um just like his path through comics and still being like one of the best artists (laughs) like it's crazy to me that 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 dude is you know if if you could imagine the perfect life in comics, he's probably had it. Um, it's still cool to see when he comes out every now and then and draws something. So like, man, I know you're a busy dude. You still got time to draw a Superman page or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 
always love Jim Lee, dude. I'm with you. X Men. Yeah. His X Men is perfect. His Batman's perfect. I've, he he wrote a. There was a Superman book a few years ago called Superman Unchained that was art by Jim Lee, written by Scott Snyder. Like can't beat that. Um, yeah, he's always yeah. been gold. Loved loved seeing and hearing about Jim Lee and going through that. That was cool. Um, looking at all these artists like studios made me want a studio to like. I was like, I just wish I could draw all day. I know they talked about the grind, and I'm I'm sure that that's there, but I wish like that was something I would have kept up with and really like leaned into and just be able to just be like, I'm just going to go in my room and draw for a while. And just like. His was perfect too. He had like a secret door. He pushed. Yeah. Like in the closet, went back in this giant room, like Jim Lee, why do you, why is your life? Everything I want. Yeah. Right. Secret doors. (laughs) And I mean, this made me really just, I mean, I do. If, if I still didn't read comic books, if I didn't have a whole pile behind me that I need to read, um, this would make me want to read comic books. Like I just came out of this documentary going, man, I just want to sit with my comic books and just like consume them, absorb them, like really look at the art. And sometimes I find myself just like, how fast can I read this? And it made me want to appreciate it more than I feel like I do sometimes. And um, just kind of that love for comics that really came through in this documentary of just being like, hey, comics are awesome comics mm-hmm. are really cool there's a lot of stories that i sometimes wish aren't hidden in comics we talked about this with the last of us and video games like yeah we've been playing stories like this and you guys are missing it because you don't play video games until it becomes a tv and you know there's not that translation there's never been really that translation of comic books yes we've had shit tons of comic book movies but they're all inspired and they're always changing something um one way or another so you never really get a full like adaptation of your favorite comic story with notwithstanding Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Right. That's the only other one that they've tried. They're like, we're going to do pain for pain. And I mean, to their credit, I think they did a pretty uh-huh. damn good job, admiral job of trying. It didn't always translate to the screen, but they didn't care. Right. Um, but there was just tons of stuff in here, tons of stuff that I forgot about, tons of stuff that I didn't even know, and things that I just wanted to really dive into and just consume. And it just made me want to sit here with some music on adventure music playlist on YouTube and just read some comics and just fall into some of these stories. And like you said, we like to do a lot of creator owned independent and just kind of a little bit more wackier type stories, which are always fun and stuff that you can't do. They said, I think in the doc somewhere, you know, we're only limited by our imagination. We're not limited by budgets. We're not limited by special effects. Can we do this? No, they're limited by their imagination. And can we draw it? If we can draw it, it's going to be in there. And just seeing this legacy of a hundred years of comics or 90 years and seeing them do that and telling the stories within our culture was just really cool to see. So it's not a perfect documentary in any way, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of celebration in there that I had a lot more fun than I expected. No, oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. It, 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 it wasn't a perfect documentary, but at the end of the day, it was mostly about the comic books. You know, that third episode got into pretty heavy into the like adaptations, but for the most part, that documentary was about this is comic books and comic yeah. books are cool. And I, I agree with you. It did make me want to sit down and read, uh, some more stuff and things I haven't read yet. And, uh yeah just a a celebration of comic books which is what we kind of wanted to see yeah and we did we did get that and i agree with you like there's there's stories in comic books that you know people watch like batman movies and and play the batman video games but in my mind i was like you're never gonna experience the long halloween though 
like I have. You know, you refused. If you don't read comic books, you're never going to read this specific story. I want you guys to experience this right. one day. Right. So, and, and the only way you can get that is if you sit down and read the book. And so uh, hopefully some people watch this who are into DC because of the movies and maybe it makes them want to read comics. Uh, check out comic books a little more. Um, maybe people like how me and you were before the new 52, like lapsed readers will want to pick up a book again and be like, you know what, let me, let me go, let me get back into these comic books again. So yeah, if, if anything, if it's only good for that, that's kind of an accomplishment. So I'm glad I watched it, you know, yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're fans of DC, just the idea of DC. We just want them to do it right and do it good and it to be entertaining to us. And a lot of times it is. So, uh, that can only be a good thing. Yeah. They're the Kings of the comic book world. And, I mean, I read way more DC than I do Marvel. And these days, I know back in the 90s, I was like, Marvel, DC sucks. But it flip-flops back and forth. But overall, it was a good watch. I really enjoyed it. Um, Glad we did it. And thank you all for listening this far into our talk of Superpower, the history of DC Comics, now streaming over on Max. Three episodes, highly recommend it. Uh, Let us know what some of your favorite DC comics are, just comics in general. We love all the different uh, companies. You know, give me some boom. I'll read boom comics all day. So... Uh, let us know what some of your favorite comics are, and you can do that by shooting us an email at raisedageek@gmail.com or hit us up on all the various social media outlets out there at raisedageek. And you can even subscribe. If you're watching this video, you can subscribe to the channel, so make sure you do that. We're over on YouTube at raisedageek. And leave a comment below in that or shoot us an email or a message on social media. Let us know what some of your favorite comic books are, some of your favorite series. And if you've watched this show, what do you think about the documentary? What do you think about... Uh, what they said in there and how we're kind of moved through and where you think comics will be in the future. So hopefully we're not anywhere close to another burst of the bubble of the comic world. Never again, Chris, never, never again, again never again. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. So for raise the geek, I'm Chris and I'm done. And thanks for checking out the show where geek is all we speak. <laughs>